everybody else, but I'm excited about a fellowship luncheon again, so uh, let's continue these conversations over lunch. It is good that the family of God enjoys spending this time together and spending uh, that time catching up with one another. And it will be good to be able to catch up over lunch. That's very exciting. Um, 2019 was our last fellowship luncheon, so... Well, you can tell I'm excited about it. But we should also be excited about God's Word and the time we spend in there. So let's pray before we get into God's Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have reached out to us and made yourself known to us through your Word. We pray that as we read today from the New Testament, from the things written about your Son, Jesus, from things written by your servant, Paul, to a church, in some ways different from ours, in some ways much like ours, we pray that you might help us to hear your word to us today. Not just my thoughts, but your word to us. And may we be made new people, made more like Jesus, as your word is planted within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those who want to follow along in our Bibles, we're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, oh, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God I didn't baptise any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say you were baptised in my name. Yes, I also baptised the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God... The world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God 
and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in the words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We live in a time when the world seems to be becoming more divided, more polarising. More camps are being drawn up with battle lines between them. With no compromise, you must be in this group or you are against us. 
Civil disagreement, disagreeing with people while staying on good terms is becoming harder. Battle lines are being drawn in families and in churches. And God's word reminds us that this is nothing new. Not even in the church is this something new. As we continue in this look in the letter to the Corinthians, remember that this is a church that Paul had planted that was beset with many problems, many sins, and as we see, great division between the people. But it is also a church that is loved by God and loved by Paul But they both want things to change in this church. They love the church, despite all the problems. But that doesn't mean they want all these problems to continue. And in this first part of of the main body of the letter, we looked at sort of the introductory statements last week. And as we get into the main body of the letter, Paul begins to address the things that he's heard from the messengers from Chloe's household. You might have heard them mentioned And they've obviously come to him outlining all of the problems that are happening in this church. And in this first part of the main body of the letter, Paul dives right into the problem of division in the church and their desire to be seen as wise in the world's eyes, which with the way that Paul interweaves between these ideas of the division in the church and the the problem of, of wisdom and foolishness, suggests that that was part of the reason for their division. They're going after, I'm after Paul and I'm after Apollos because we think that's the person that has the most wisdom and who, if we follow him, then the people in the world are going to see us in the best light. So we read in verse 12 of chapter 1 that the church has broken into factions. Now, perhaps this was different house churches, that um, you know, t- different churches within the city of Corinth that uh, you know one met at this house and one met at this house and one you know we follow Paul and we follow Apollos and we follow Cephas which is the, the Greek version of the of the name Peter um, and still another we follow Christ and you sort of think that last group sound like they have it right but they're still divided with their brothers and sisters. And Paul's response to these factions is quite strong. He says in verse 13, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? And then he goes off for a little while talking about how he he didn't baptise many people there. But his point in this verse is quite clear. There is only... One church. Now, yes, like it's, it's legitimate for there to have been different churches that met in different houses. There might not have been a house big enough to fit all of the believers in Corinth. But those churches are still to be part of one church, one body of people who follow Jesus. There is only one foundation for the church, and that is... Christ and him crucified. No one can make any foundation other than him. There can't be a legitimate church of Paul and a church of Apollos because neither Paul nor Apollos 
could die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And of course, neither Paul nor Apollos claimed that they could do that. No one can be the son of God. No one can give their life for the sins of another. And no one of us can give our lives so that the wrath of God against sin can be turned aside, can be satisfied, so that there is no longer any punishment owing toward our sins, but that that which has been paid out on Jesus. There can only be one church. The foundation of which, as Paul says, is the cross of Christ. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. There can only be one church. Those people who follow Jesus and put their trust in him. Now, as we look through our towns, as we look through the world around us, there are many churches. In just this town alone, there's one, two, four churches. And then in the interchurch council, there's about nine of us. And, that's, you know, and there are other churches even throughout this area that aren't part of it. Is that a problem? That there are these different churches? Often when we look at uh, this part of 1 Corinthians, people think about denominations and the differences between the different churches. But this is, it isn't a problem. So long as these churches believe in Jesus, believe in his death and resurrection, and so long as these churches are cooperative and love one another, so long as we remember that we, uh, our church is a part of the one church of Jesus and not the whole of the one church of Jesus. I think the application for this division that we're reading about in Corinthians in this passage is less about the fact that denominations exist, which is not in and of itself necessarily a bad thing, that there can be you know, a place where the people who like the, the Lutheran way of doing things can go and do a Lutheran service and those who like the happy clappy way of doing things can go and do a happy clappy service. And um, So long as we love one another and we respect that we are part of the one body of Christ. I think it's less about denominations and more about the other causes of division that can come within the churches. What things divide Christians today? What things lead people to say, I don't actually care if you, you know, if you believe in God or not, but if you're not with me on this point, then you are not one of my people. We are not one body. You are that faction and, and this is my faction. We see lines drawn up like that in some churches over politics. We see some lines drawn up like that in churches over um, particular interpretations of the Bible about things that aren't key salvation issues. There are some things that you have to believe or else you're not really believing the gospel. 
But then there are other things that we can have differences of, disagreement, uh, differences of opinion about what exactly the Bible is saying in one place. And that's not a matter of whether a person is saved or not. We can have divisions in our churches because some people don't like the new carpet that was put in. Um, we can be very good at dividing over things that are not the heart of the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the thing is, unless the, unless the, the reason that a church might break off from another is because that church no longer preaches Christ and him crucified, any other division is not legitimate. Because what brings us together, what Jesus has done for us on the cross is far greater than any of the things that divide us and any of the things that we disagree on. And so Paul tells them, this church that has been divided in factions, that all of you agree with one another in what you say. Let there be no divisions among you, but be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Now, I don't think what Paul, like Paul is speaking strongly against the problems in the church here. But Paul is not necessarily calling for uniformity, that everybody in the church has to have the same views on every matter, that everybody in the church has to vote for the same party, that everybody in the church has to have the same take on social justice issues or political issues or things that are happening in the world. But we need to have unity. We need to have at the heart of things that we are the family that God has brought together and that those things that divide us are way less important than those things that unite us. And to be strongest precisely on those points that are what brings us together, that we be perfectly united in those things. So that's one, one application of those verses from, uh, to the Corinthians about their division, that we need to look out for the things that cause division in our churches. And the other thing that it might be wise to take from this is that we don't put Christian leaders on too high of a pedestal. They put Paul right up there on the pedestal and he said, don't do that. I didn't die for you. You weren't baptised into my name. Jesus died for you and you were baptised into his name. Now, like most of us, I have you know, authors that I like to read, uh, what they've written. I have people that I, I tend to go to, first of all, if I have questions about something. It's good to have Christian leaders that we look up to and that give us some inspiration. But they are not our saviours, and it's good to remember that. And when we get too closely identified with any particular minister, that can have problems, that can cause problems. I know there are a lot of people hurt by the news that came out about the preacher Ravi Zacharias, uh, who had a great ministry of apologetics, 
And then after he died, we found out that he'd been abusing women who were uh, you know, under his influence and involved in his churches or his businesses. And that's a tragic thing and a good thing for, for those that were involved in his ministry that there's been a process of repentance and of uh, you know, bringing those things to light. But if our faith and our hope is in Jesus, if he's the one that underpins our unity, then something like that happening is tragic and heartbreaking, but not faith-breaking. Whereas if we put that leader on too high of a pedestal and they fail us, we can see people lose faith in Jesus because of the sin of human beings. So we're reminded from Paul here, there's only one church founded on Jesus. And there are people who have important roles within that church, but they're not the saviours. And they're not, that you can't found a church on them, but only on Jesus and only on the cross. Jesus Christ and him crucified. But as you would have seen as we read out that, uh, the word from Corinthians, that was a problem for the Corinthians. That what the basis of our unity was Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because they wanted to be seen as wise. But the cross was seen as foolishness. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who have rejected the gospel. That was true then, and it's true today. Jews are offended at the idea that the Messiah could have been under God's curse as he was hung on a tree. As the Old Testament says that anybody executed by being hung on a tree is cursed. Muslims are offended at the idea that God would become a man because that's not possible. And the scholars, the philosophers of our day, sneer at the idea that God could die if you know, they don't sneer at the idea of God existing in the first place. The cross of Christ is seen as foolishness. And to be seen as wise in the world, we'd need to get rid of it. Just go quiet about the cross. We're the Son of God the eternal Son of God who made the heavens and the earth, took on human flesh, was obedient to death, even death on a cross, where the wrath of God against sins was poured out on him so that for all who believe in him, they will not perish but have everlasting life. If we want the world to think we're wise, we have to get rid of that. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God for salvation. The folly of God, Paul tells us, is wiser than the wisdom of the world. Because God was pleased to let the world not know him through wisdom. In, wis in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him. Now, that's a slightly confusing sentence, but the idea is discovering who God is and what he's done for us 
isn't just something that only the very smart people in this world can figure out. You can't be smart enough to have just figured out off the top of your head the existence of God, the nature of God and what he's like and what he's done for us at the cross. The only way we know, can know these things is if God has made them known to us. And so we don't have... You know, being saved, having eternal life in Jesus is not something that's only open to the very top echelon of philosophers, but to everybody who puts their trust in what God has revealed. So that God uses what is foolish to shame the wise. God uses what was weak to shame the strong. We can't believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that that paid the price for our sins and be seen as wise by the world. And so at some point we have to make a choice. Can we make peace with being thought of as fools? And this, will, this runs the range from our friends that we love and that love us that aren't people who believe in Jesus and they, you know, they think we're, we're good people, but you know, maybe a bit strange, but mostly harmless. That's, that's the one end of the spectrum. Right up to the people who think that Christians are everything that's wrong with the world, holding the world back from the progress that we need to make, and that the world would be better without Christians having a say in it. And of course, there's a whole spectrum of attitudes between you know, those, those who happily put up with us and those who strongly disagree with us. But the one thing that they have in common is that they all tend to think that this whole Christianity thing is a bit foolish and that we're fools for putting our trust in it. So can we make peace with being thought of as fools? And there's an important point to make here that we don't actually go out and be fools. There's a time and a place for apologetics. There's a time and a place for making the best possible argument that we can make for the Christian faith, for the reason why we believe. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, Peter tells us. But do so with gentleness and respect. But Paul tells us, in his preaching to the Corinthians, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and great trembling. He didn't persuade them with the, the, the best words and the, the trickiest rhetoric. He persuaded them with the truth. God doesn't call us to be used car salesmen that know all of the tricks to be able to make somebody buy something they don't really want. It, helping people to come to know the gospel is not a matter of being clever enough to put things in exactly the right words. It's just telling the truth. Telling the truth of what Jesus did for us on the cross and trusting that, as we'll go on to see in the, the final part, that the Spirit will do its work. That if people are open, the Spirit enables them to see that this truth is from God 
and put their faith in it. Without the Spirit, everybody would consider it foolishness. But the Spirit of God reveals the things of God to those who have believed. So, no matter what people might think of us, never let go of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the heart of the Gospel. That even while we were still enemies of God, with nothing about us to make him love us, but only because he chose to love us. He came and he gave his life so that even though the wages of sin is death and separation from God and the wrath of God, that price has been paid not by us, but by Jesus, so long as we put our trust in him. Christ crucified is the gospel. It's what saves us. It's what unites us as the people who believe in that, no matter what other things might separate us. And so Paul, uh, Pete, yeah, Paul calls us to embrace the folly. Embrace the fact that people might think that we're foolish because the folly of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. When we make peace with that, it's the beginning of being wise because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Paul goes on to say that there is wisdom that they preach among those who are mature in Christ. There's a lot of wisdom to be found in following Jesus and the rest of the letter will be a lot of that sort of wisdom about how it is that we're supposed to live as God's people in this world. And it's not the wisdom of this world. It's only the Spirit of God that enables us to know that these things are true. Paul tells us that we have access to God's secret wisdom. Is the words that he uses. A mystery that has been hidden, that God destined for our glory before time began. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, these things that God has prepared in advance for those who love him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. The secret wisdom of God is not about knowing all the things in life and all of the things in this world and everything that will happen. It's knowing what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It's what has been revealed to us already. How do you know if you have the Spirit of God? How do you know if you have wisdom from God? Do you trust the Gospel? Do you trust that Jesus Christ was and is the Son of God? That He died on that cross so that the penalty for sins could be paid and that we could be forgiven. If you believe that, you didn't do that on your own. You have the Spirit of God testifying the truth of that within you. The cross is the heart of what we believe. Jesus Christ and Him crucified is the heart of who we are as those saved by Him and brought together by Him. 
It draws us together despite our differences because we can't divide the body of Christ. There is one church and one Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The, the cross of Christ calls us to lay down our pride, to stop worrying about what others think of us, to lay down our sense of pride as Jesus laid down his for us. And it calls us to make a decision whether we want to be seen as wise or whether we want to actually be wise by putting our trust in the wisdom of God and putting our faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the cross, the gospel message that we have, that Paul boiled down to just this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. We thank you that although you were eternally the Son of God, enjoying all good things at the Father's side, you chose to enter this world, take on our flesh, carry our suffering, Pay the price for our sins. And God has laid on you the iniquity of us all. We thank you for that incredible gospel hope, that incredible gospel message. Help us to remember that as those who believe in that wonderful good news, we are part of the body of Christ. We are one people. And that the fact that we have been brought together by the Son of God giving his life for us, that overrides anything that could divide us. Anything that we might otherwise think is worth dividing over. But the body of Christ is not divided, just as Christ is not divided. Lord, none of us like to be thought of as fools, but we know that your gospel is foolishness to those who believe it. Help us to boldly proclaim it and let go of our worry about being thought of as fools. Help us to remember that in you we have the true wisdom, wisdom of God, and in you we have the hope of everlasting life. And in you, we have the mind of Christ, as Paul finished this section by saying. We thank you for this incredible hope and this incredible calling. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing, May the mind of Christ my Saviour live in me 